This episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. Bet $50 at WinBet and get $200 in free bets. Bet big, win bigger with WinBet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. We're also brought to you by Sleeper. You already play fantasy on Sleeper, but now you can win cold, hard cash with their over-under game. Just head to sleeper.com slash SGP on your phone or join the SGPN group and Sleeper automatically match your first deposit up to $100. That's sleeper.com slash SGP. And make sure to download the SGPN app, your home, for all of our free picks and podcasts. And welcome, everybody, to the first ever episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast here with the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Reichel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sam Jacob, and together we're going to go through Wimbledon and talk about some of the, I'd say, attractive bets either in the outright markets or in the first round. Should be a lot of fun. Seems like we picked the right time to start the podcast because Wimbledon is one of my favorite tournaments out of the whole year, but... I'll ask my co-host the same question. Wimbledon, where does it rank on your tournaments for uh, throughout the entire year, Sam? Uh, I think it's number three for me. I like the hard courts. U.S. Open, close to home. Gotta love that. Australian, always a fun one. And then Wimbledon, probably French Open after that. Fair enough. I, I can understand that. I kind of just like the actual aesthetic of the grass court. You see it pretty much for a month out of the year yeah. and then after that you go back to clay and some hardcore stuff so i do like the i'd say intricacies of grass but overall the reason why we started the podcast i was looking around we covered a lot of sports i know sgpn wanted to cover more and they got a frisbee podcast and i knew <laughs> at that point once frisbee was done before tennis i had to do something so that's kind of how we ended up getting started with the tennis podcast so welcome and let's make a lot of money over the course of the show. Now, before we actually get into the initial outright markets, we are going to take a quick word from our sponsor. Make sure to get down on the wins bet $50 to win $200 promotion, where a $50 bet qualifies you for up to $200 in free bets. Bet $500 on sports or casino before July 31st, and you get entered for a shot to win the ultimate fantasy football draft experience at Encore Beach Club, including a two-night stay at Win Resorts for you and your entire league. Plus, you have a chance to party with DJ Diesel. If you bet $100 on NBA or casino, you are entered into a prize drawing to attend a DJ Diesel, who is Shaq, of course, performance at Encore Beach Club at night, as well as a meet and greet with DJ Diesel this summer. Plus, if you also bet $100 from Thursday to Sunday on the U.S. Open, you will earn an entry into a prize drawing where the winner and a guest will receive a complimentary round of golf at Wynn Golf Club and a two-night stay at Wynn Las Vegas. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is download the WinBet app or visit wynnbet.com to get started. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. Available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. 
Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I personally use it for mine. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now there's a new way to make money on there with their new over-under game. It's very simple. First in any sport, pick two or more players that you like and pick the over-under. For example, the number of points in a basketball game or the hits in a baseball game. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money that you put in. The main reason why I'm excited about the over-under contest is because of the fact that it's the only app where you can join your buddies' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over-under game. On your mobile phone, join our listener group on Sleeper at sleeper.com SGP, and Sleeper will automatically match your first deposit up to $100. That's right, join our squad and get the 100% deposit match at sleeper.com slash SGP. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. And welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Now, before we went on break, we talked about going through the outrights here for Wimbledon, and I'm going to go through just the favorites at the top, and then we'll go through some of our favorite actual picks with the value. We'll also go through some quarters. We'll go through a lot of stuff here. It should be a pretty long episode. I'd say most are probably going to be around 30 minutes or so, but with Wimbledon, especially the start of the tournament, you got a bunch of matches, a bunch of futures, and we're going to be pretty thorough. So starting off with the favorites, of course, in Wimbledon, you have Djokovic. No surprise there. He's actually laying. He's around minus 120, minus 110, depending on where you shop around. Then you have Berrettini, who was last year's runner-up at around plus 550, plus 600. Then you have Nadal, who is technically still going for the calendar Grand Slam as he did win the Australian and the French Open. There were some rumors that he was not going to play because of the leg issue that he was dealing with in the French Open, but he decided to give it a shot, and he is plus 800. Then you throw in some of the longer shots. You have Alcaraz at around 14-1. to 1. You have Herkaz at 15-1, to 1, et cetera. So, Stan, we'll start off with you, going through the actual outrights. Does anybody really, I'd say, have a shot a serious shot to win the tournament besides the favorites up top? Well, let me first say the 64 matches coming on. This is the most exciting part of the year. And it's the beauty of having a tennis podcast now because you have people like us who go through all these random, per se, matches that you don't have to do and that we can make you money on the side as well. So when it comes to the futures, uh, besides, the, besides Djokovic, and uh, Berrettini, I guess we want to put him in there. Uh, the only guy that I see besides, I guess, Nadal you could consider, but, you know, he, he has the fatigue factor. He's not he, really, might, he might retire he, as well. You don't know if the leg's going to hold up over the course of about two weeks. Yeah, he's not as elite on grass, but uh, I can't say no to Hercots being in there. You know, he just won the tournament beforehand, um, and he, he could make a run here. But, but, you know, when he reaches Berrettini and Djokovic, he should have a tough time. That's definitely true. Herkaz did make a pretty solid run last year. So the fact is he has gone deep before. If you want to look at that 2021 run that he had, he did make the semis. So he was very, very close to actually making the finals. Did not work out as he eventually ended up losing to, uh, yeah, he ended up losing to Berrettini in four in the semis. But if you want to actually go through his path last year, 
He beat some talented players. Uh, if you look, he ended up beating Musetti, beat Giron, beat Bublik all in straight sets, beat Medvedev in five, ended up beating Federer in three, and then he took a set off Berrettini before, lo- before eventually losing. So Herkes has made a solid amount of, I'd say, quality performances on grass. Of course, we just saw him win a tournament where he came from a set back behind uh, a set behind Kyrgios in the semis, then ended up beating Medvedev in that final rather handily, actually. So Herkaz definitely is in solid form. Now, I do want to go through, I'd say, the outright bets that you might be making for this actual tournament. We'll go to the quarters in a second, but to start off with the actual outrights for the overall winner of this tournament... I, of course, I like Djokovic. I mean, there's no way that I can avoid betting Djokovic. I know that it's around minus 110, but in reality, you have to remember, it is a much weaker field than most years. Right. Of course, Federer, who was the king of grass, is not going to be in the actual tournament because he's still rehabbing. You have Nadal, who's potentially compromised physically, and then you have Rublev and Medvedev, who are not allowed to play. And that's a whole separate political story. But the point is you have two top 10 players who are ineligible for whatever reason, in addition to one of the best grass court players of all time being out and Nadal, who's a multiple-time champion, being injured. So as a whole, I'm looking at Djokovic. You know that he probably would have won Australian if he was able to participate. I'm not going to roast him for losing to Nadal in the French Open. It's kind of what you're supposed to do. I know Djokovic was a favorite in that matchup. But Djokovic is the best grass court player of all time. Can I say that? Uh, with Federer? With Federer? I was going to say, you can argue it's either him or Federer, maybe a 1A, 1B. But when you've yeah. won Wimbledon six times, it's pretty tough for me to pick against you, especially when you're healthy. I know, I know yeah, we're going to... the last time you lost the title? What was the year was the last time you lost the title? Was that 2018? So 2020, he ended up not participating in the okay. event... Uh, Nobody, they didn't have Wimbledon. I was going to say, so he didn't participate because they didn't have it. So (laughs) 2017 was the last time that he actually lost in a match in Wimbledon. And he ended up losing to Burdich via retirement. So he was Uh, injured. He got injured there in the second set and withdrew down two nothing in the second. But in the last uh, three years that they've actually had Wimbledon, he's won. So right. I'm not going to pick against him. Now, I'm not going to say it's as big of a lock as Nadal in the French Open every year, but it's pretty close. I think the two locks every year in tennis are Djokovic Australian Open and Nadal French. But, of course, Djokovic is still a monster on grass, right. and I'm definitely going to pick him to win the tournament. Now, if you want to make a case for Berrettini, he was the runner-up last year. He made, Djok- he made Djokovic work for it a bit. But, of course, Djokovic got the better end of the result. And Berrettini also entered a couple of tournaments before Wimbledon this year. And, uh, Sam, remind me, how he, how'd he do? Berrettini? Yeah, how'd he do? Uh, he did pretty well. Went in two tournaments, back-to-back. Uh, not playing the next one, but he, he didn't lose a match. So. Uh, yeah, he was undefeated. So that, that's pretty good. I know <laughs> the issue going into those tournaments was the wrist issue, which caused him to miss about a month. But after a three-set match against Albert in his first match back, he looked really good, and he basically dominated. So I think those two should definitely be the favorites. Nadal, can we call Nadal a wild card? 
I I personally don't even see him in there. I mean, I would I he's Rafa Nadal, so you gotta you have to throw him in there. But personally, I don't see him in. I don't see him in the top of the field. No, I I can agree with you. I think that there's definitely realistically three tiers at the top. You got Djokovic by himself. You kind of have Berrettini by himself, and then you have Nadal mixed with. Herkaz and these other people who could make a deep run, but I would be surprised if they won the title. But that's how I look at it. Herkaz, I agree with you. I see 18 to 1, which I think is a pretty solid price for a guy who did make the semis last year. Now, I am going to ask you about one guy who was struggling on grass leading up to this past weekend. You had Sitsipas, who was really struggling on grass in his first couple of tournaments, and then he won a trophy. He beat Batista Agut on Saturday, so he actually lifted his first ever grass court championship. Does that give you a little bit of optimism moving forward, or do you just believe three out of five since he passed is still going to lose in the first three rounds? Yeah, uh, he has a good recent performance here, but uh, if you look at his performances on Wimbledon alone, not uh, it's not so. It's not so good. Losing in the first round last year to Tiafo. Uh, how many sets? Uh, how many sets did he? How many sets did he win in that Tiafo match? By the way, that would be an, a nice donut, a zero. So that's three nothing Tiafo in the first round of Wimbledon last year. He lifted a trophy, I guess. Yeah, sure. In a two out of three, playing a middle tier field, but here, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, that's fair. I'm trying to think of any other pieces. Of course, you know, you're going to a gambling podcast and people want to hear 100 to 1, 200 to 1, 50 to 1. But in reality, I mean, for the last 15 plus years, roughly 20 years, it's men's tennis. Usually the favorite wins the tournament, or at least somebody in the top three. You have some exceptions. I know Arenka won a couple in the French Open and in the Australian Open. You had Chilich who ended up winning the U.S. Open a couple of years ago, Del Potro a long time ago. But for the most part, it's a big three-dominated world, and I know that the big three isn't the same anymore because Federer's not in the tournament and Nadal might be a little bit compromised. But I do believe that Djokovic is a minus for a reason, and you could really make the case he should be a bigger minus because he's 3-0 and in the finals in the last three tournaments because nobody can beat him on grass. So that's kind of how I look at it. You mentioned before that, you know, you don't, you, you like Djokovic, you like Djokovic a lot, but you're trying to look for the field uh, to see if there's any type of player that could maybe potentially win. Uh, I just don't see it. I just, I, I, I just see that. Djokovic. And, you know, sometimes you do want to hear these underdogs, these Cinderella stories, but let me tell you something. Sometimes you just want to hear that something's supposed to happen will happen. And I'm with Djokovic all the way in this in this tournament. I the only type of thing, a little little breath, I guess, little window Berrettini and all these guys have is that we haven't seen Djokovic play at all this year on grass, so we don't really have any type of glimpse of how he's going to perform. But it shouldn't matter. Yeah, Djokovic addressed that in a press conference uh, earlier on. I believe it was Saturday. He said he's not worried about it. He has won Wimbledon before without playing any of the pre warm up tournaments. So Djokovic is not worried for it, and I wouldn't be either. Plus, I mean, we're going to go through the first round, but he plays Quan in the first round. Can we count that as a tune-up match? I mean, he's like minus 15,000. Like, if yeah. realistically, yep. he might struggle for maybe a set, just adjusting to the surface. But when you've won this many Wimbledons, it's kind of just second nature, isn't it? 
Right. Yeah. My, uh, my analysis for this match, I, I'd love to go deep into my, the analysis here, but all my analysis is, is Djokovic versus Kwan. Yeah. That's it. That, that's really fair. So the thing <laughs> is you have to worry about initial rust, but when you're not against a top tier first round opponent that could upset you, like for example, if Djokovic was playing Cressy in the first round, somebody who has had grass success this year gives you something unique to look at. Maybe you can argue Djokovic struggling, but Kwan, right. no, like he's going to kill Kwan and I'm sure he'll be back on track after that, which is also why I'm kind of looking at some of the odds for quarters. We'll transition a bit here. Djokovic to win the first quarter is roughly minus 300 shopping around. It was even moved up to minus 360. And if you want to go through the quarter, I'll go through the main names for the first quarter. We'll just go in order. You have Djokovic at minus 360. Alcaraz is roughly four to one. We'll talk about that in a second. You have Murray at around eleven to one, and then you have uh, the up-and-coming Dutch player who actually pulled off a shocking win there at twenty-five to one in Van Rithoven. Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Rithoven? Van Rithoven. That's. I was going to say, yeah, it could be one of one of the other. I'm sorry if I butcher the pronunciation there, but in my defense, there are a lot of consonants that are thrown in together. He's at 25 to 1, Sinner's at 25 to 1, and then you got a bunch of long shots. So we already talked about Djokovic and how minus 360, he could be $5. I really would not care because he. I would be shocked if he did not make it to the semis in this tournament yeah. based on how easy his quarter actually is. Why is Alcaraz 4 to 1? Uh, I guess his re- recent performance in the French Open. I mean, it's the only the only thing that we could say here. I mean, we haven't seen him really be the same guy on grass yet in his career. Uh, they're just hopefully putting him in as four to one to maybe be the same type of player he is on clay. The way that I see it is that it's solely based on seeding and reputation, kind of like what we right. saw in Rude's first grass tournament of the year. He was against Peniston. And I talked about it on YouTube. I even mentioned it to you. I loved Penison on the money line. He was roughly plus 400. And Ruud is one of the most known, I'd say, indifferent players to grass. He just doesn't care. So I was going to take the hometown kid getting a great price. But you want to wonder why the odds maker said it at a certain number. It's because you look at the number next to the seating of the player and you see an unseated guy next to him and you just assume he's supposed to roll. But with actual surface changes... You go through Opelka, you go, it's not Opelka, sorry. Opelka is a guy we'll get to in a little bit because he should be good on grass and he's in this region, but I don't think either of us are interested in him. Alvarez, so far in his career, has been in Wimbledon one time. He made the second round. That's it. And in his matches, he went five sets against Uchiyama, who was a lucky loser. He won, and he got killed by Medvedev. He's plus 400 to win the section. Yep. And this is the beauty about tennis. You, you mentioned briefly about the surface change. Surface change is everything. It's you might so see big. a guy like Casper Rude. You might see a guy like Carlos Alcaraz, you know, and be like, yeah, he's a, he's a good player. I've seen him play on hard court. Uh, he's done very well. I've seen him play on clay. He's done very well. Completely different ball game. We're talking about a completely different surface, a completely different tennis match. Now with the difference with the grass court instead of a clay or hard court. And I guess the logic is Alcaraz is being compared to Nadal naturally because they're the extremely fast Spanish guys who have been really, I'd say, 
fast risers during the early portions of their careers. And Nadal, we know, became one of the best players in the world in the span of like two, three years. Alcaraz managed to beat Djokovic and Nadal in the span of a week in a clay tournament. But until Alcaraz shows me anything on grass, there's no way I'm picking him, A, to beat Djokovic, B, even to make it to Djokovic. I really don't understand this plus 400. And I feel like if you want to talk about the guys who are right below him, Murray at 11 to 1. Murray's tricky because he's won Wimbledon several times, but we always have questions about the hip and if he can actually stay in good physical form for the course of a week and a half, two weeks. And then you have, I mean, Rithoven hasn't proven anything either besides one tournament that he won in his home country. So that's really a testament to how weak the region is. If I was pricing it myself, I'd probably have Alcaraz closer to 7-1, to 6-1, to one, and Murray probably closer to 9-1, to one, something like yeah. that. But at the end of the day, I'm not even going to ask if you have a long-shot candidate in this region. I just don't think it exists. I think if you're betting yeah. anybody else, you're hoping Djokovic retires. Right. <laughs> That's I'm, true. I'm, yeah, I don't want to be harsh and like, root for an injury for Djokovic, but in reality, I don't think any of these people are even close to Djokovic. Like, Djokovic no, might no, not drop no a set. Yeah, there's no one here. I mean, the fourth favorite player, like you said, is Richtop. And, I mean, he won one tournament. Before he won that tournament, he had a bad loss to a guy I don't even know on grass. So, I mean, yeah, he just won a tournament in his hometown of the Netherlands, but uh, who is he? Now it's Wimbledon. It's a different story, especially with a neutral British crowd. But I was talking about Opelka. I was going to go back to him. He's a 28-1. to 1. I'm going to bring him up later for the first round matchups, just to at least bring a discussion into it. Uh, Opelka, for whatever reason, one of the best servers on the tour. He's been terrible on grass. I don't know why that's the case. Uh, this year he is winless on grass, correct? Uh, yeah, I don't know why that's the case either. And Serving even, up bombs on yeah. this court. On and it's not even like he's but... losing in breakers. He's not even making it to breakers half the time. He's just gotten absolutely bodied in all of these matches. And even last year, I remember because I actually lost money on this match, I had the over in the Opelka-Kempfer match, and he lost in straight sets. Yeah, Kemper, Kemper's there. done well head-to-head against him, but in, in reality, when you're a dominant server, like in, in Isner, so to speak, a younger version, if you want to compare serve bots, then Opelka should be doing a lot better on grass. But based on current form, I have no interest at all. If you want to go for a fun dart throw, which has really no shot, but, you know, maybe Atta at around 35-1 I... to one maybe, like just because he... Gave Medvedev a run for his money. He had a decent run there in Hala. Once again, it's not going to work. But if you want to take a guy who's talented on grass at a decent price, I think Atta's probably your best option, right? Uh, probably here with uh, 35 to 1. This is the type of situation where you hope Atta makes um, the quarterfinal against Djokovic and you just hedge all your money on Djokovic afterwards. Pretty much. And hopefully you make a couple dollars there. Uh, anyway, it's 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 all Djokovic here. Yep. I mean, there's Atta, I mean... You're trying to pick at straws. Opelka is the kind of guy with the recent performances, which is a very one of the most important statistics we could see uh, of how he's going to do. It should just be a guy that we look right over at this point. Uh, I mean, it's it's all Djokovic. Yeah, if you're also looking at name recognition, don't bother with with Isner and don't bother with Warenka. It's not it's not going to happen. Just don't bother. Yep. That's that's my brief takeaway for those two. Uh, now going on to the second quarter. 
Uh, you have Herkaz as the favorite, despite not being the best overall seed in the region. Herkaz around plus 150. Uh, Kasper is 8-1. to one. Nori, who is underratedly a top 12 player, is 8-1 to one as well. Also a hometown guy, because he is, of course, from Great Britain. Uh, you have Dimitrov at 9-1. to one. Tiafo 11 to 1, Golfin 14 to 1. Uh, you have any thoughts here? Or you're just on her, on her cast. Uh, I think this quarter is actually completely different than the first quarter. I think it's wide open. I mean, Hercats is clearly the best player uh, in this quarter, uh, with Casper Ruud being tied for second in odds, who really doesn't like to be on grass at all. Uh, he's clearly the favorite here, but, you know, it only takes one match. He's not as steady at like Djokovic. Uh, he could potentially fall. This is a type of quarter where you could take a long shot and just, you know, ride it, ride it to the quarters. Now, I do want to ask, since we're, I mentioned the hometown kid before and how, in the Netherlands case, of course, home crowd can give you the spark you need in order to win a tournament. I bring it up because Nori's 8-1 to one and Penniston is 20-1. to one. Now, do you think that the odds makers... A, adjust properly to the home court advantage? Or B, if, if the answer is no for question one, do you think they over-adjust or under-adjust? Uh, I think it depends on each match, honestly. It depends on who they're playing at the time. Uh, I don't know if they do it for the futures, really. I think they really look at the fields, who is the best, and price it. Even uh, if you were betting it, it, would you be more attracted towards betting a hometown guy, or do you just believe that eventually the cream rises to the top anyway? Uh, absolutely. I bet, on, I bet on a home court guy compared to somebody else. It's like having a home home uh, stadium advantage in basketball or home field advantage in football. You know, you got the crowd on your side. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to have the crowd on your side. It gives you the momentum even when you're down uh, and it could help out, help the player win a match. So I know both of us are going to be in agreement. Having said what we just said, I don't think there's any value on Penniston at 20 to one. I don't think he's a good enough player. No, no, he's, he's an up and comer. It's tough to say that he's going to be winning a quarter right now. I mean, once again, I said before, the main win that he had on the grass court season was a play where I had him and he played Casper Rude. And Rude, as we mentioned before, is one of the worst grass court players of any ranked person, especially in the top 10. So it's an impressive win there because he beat a guy who's in the top 10, top five, but still circumstances matter. I don't think there's any value on Penniston. You cannot convince me that Penniston's a better player than, for example, Fuksovics or Manorino. Or I know Fokina had the wrist issue, which caused him to retire in his last match. But when you're talking about head-to-head, I think all those players I just said are better than him. So I have no interest in taking him at 20-1. to The reason why I ask is because I was really kind of tilting towards Nori. I think Herkaz is probably going to win the, win the uh, quarter because he made the semis last year, so he has been accustomed to making deep runs, and he also has looked really good on grass this season. I think the only two choices I'm really interested in are Herkaz and Nori. That's basically it. I know Dimitrov had some decent Wimbledon runs several years ago, but he's too inconsistent. I, I can't get behind Dimitrov. I know that people have waited for him to pop, and of course he beat Federer in that U.S. Open X amount of years ago, but he's underachieved his entire career. I'm not picking him. Rude at eight to one's an absolute joke. I have no idea how Rude is not like eighteen to one. Because they're not factoring they're not factoring in the surface. I, I mean, can't say they're not factoring it in though, because if we're looking at the overall title odds, Rude's hundred and fifty to one. 
I mean, the overall title odds, we have one tier, two tier, and everybody else. But my point is, I don't know how uh, yeah, you can, I get. I, I just don't get how Rude's a top five player. You put him at 150 to one to win the overall champ, to win the overall tournament, which makes sense to me. But then you put him at eight to one to win the quarter. How does that make sense? Uh, you're right. Maybe they are factoring in the surface, but he 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 clearly doesn't want to be there. So I mean, right, like you said before, eighteen to one would be uh, more reasonable than eight to one. I wouldn't I wouldn't spring for Rude here in, in any circumstance. Do you have any other player that you want to talk about in this region besides Herkaz and Nori? Because that seems to yeah. be my two favorite options in this quarter. I've got one. I've got one. His name is Ovix at thirty-five to one. He's on the opposite side of Hercots, who's, like we said, is clearly the best player uh, in this quarter. Hercots has a shot at making a path to that quarterfinal where you could hedge at, let's say, around a minus 250 if he plays, plays Hercots. But taking out a 35 to 1 now and taking a, a hedging at the minus 250 can make you a couple of pretty pennies. And Fuxovics has been pretty good on the surface in the past. Now, of course, the right. question you got to actually bring up regarding Fuxovics is recent form, particularly health, because his last two matches entering the tournament, he retired. Now, one thing that you can point to, which is a common theme, usually the week of Wimbledon or the week like right before it, more players tend to retire than usual because they want to rest their bodies for the actual Grand Slam, where the prize money is significantly higher. So they prioritize staying healthy in the Grand Slams. Does it concern you at all that Fuksovic's retired in two straight matches and he's an underdog in the first round against Bublik? Uh, of course, it concerns me. It definitely concerns me that he, he was hurt and retired in the last two matches he played. Uh, this, these were two weeks ago. But if he's a healthy Fuksovic's, uh, the reason why I like him so much, for an example, is two weeks ago, before he retired against Kyrgios, he beat Hurkacz. He is able to beat him in three sets, which makes him a serious contender to, if he happens to get into that quarterfinal, actually pull through at 35-1. to 1. He's got a good record of going into Wimbledon. He's got a good record usually on grass when he's not hurt. 35-1 uh, to 1 is just a good price, in my opinion. I'm not saying he's going to for sure win the quarter, but if you want value, there's value. Yeah, I think if you want to look around at all the other long shots, that's probably the best option you have. If you want to make a case for Vesely, because he was decent on grass in the past, have fun with that at 80-1, to 1, but he's also injured all the time. There's no guarantee he'll hold up physically. But moving on to the third quarter, I think this one is the most difficult quarter, either mm-hmm. this one or the fourth one. I think it's very close. But you have Berrettini, who's a minus-110 favorite in the quarter. Sitsipas is 5-1. to one. Kyrgios, 5-1. to one. Shapovalov twelve to one, Diminuar twelve to one, and Agut at sixteen to one. I'm assuming you're all over Berrettini. I gotta be. You know, I, I can't. I I hate. You know, keep picking the favorites, chalk chalking it up. But Berrettini's been been proven. He's proven back to back winners in his past two tournaments. He's the runner up last year. None of these guys have really proven themselves on grass too much. Kyrgios is always a wild card. Uh, you know, he's the most volatile player maybe of all time. But Berrettini is a clear, clear favorite in this quarter. And, yeah, I'm all over him. Yeah, Berrettini, it's very, very tough to go against when his, clay, when his uh, grass matches in the last two years, he's lost one time 
to Novak Djokovic in the Wimbledon final. It's very tough to find a guy who can dethrone him. Sitsipas, maybe if he truly found his form on grass, but I'll believe it when I see it. Kyrgios, three nothing, course, three nothing against Tiafo. Three nothing last year. Tiafo beat him first round. That's what I'm saying. Once again, Sitsipas can be great in two out of three matches when he figures it out on grass. But I'm not going to overreact to one tournament. He's still lost in all the previous tournaments he was in in the warm up rounds or the warm up tournaments to Wimbledon. So good for Sitsipas for maybe finding something. But three out of five is different than two out of three. I don't think Sitsipas gets there. Kyrgios will self destruct at some point. Uh, <laughs> I'm just being honest. I like Kyrgios. I think he's entertaining. <laughs> but in reality, do you really trust him to keep his composure, especially in three out of five? Of course not. So, no, I'm just imagining. I'm just imagining lifts up, lifts the towel up, hits the self-destruct button, and boom, it's all over. Yeah, a couple of yell, uh, yells at, uh, you know, arguments with the chair ump. He might get a, you know, game misconduct penalty or something. I don't know. I think maybe you can argue Batista good at 16 to 1 because he did end up pushing Sitsipas to three in that final. So if you want to find a bigger price, maybe a good, because he's a steady player. I don't think the serve's good enough, which I think is going to be his undoing, which has been a, a good issue all career long. He's a great player. He just can't serve. So it's going to kill him in some of these bigger matches. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Uh, nobody else I'm really interested in. I think it is pretty funny that uh, Chorich is still listed at 40-1 to 1 when he officially withdrew from the tournament today. So uh, if you're trying to avoid getting scammed, uh, do not bet Chorich to win the uh, region or the tournament because I don't know about the fine print. You might not get refunded for that, so just keep that in don't mind. Don't get scammed, folks. Do not get scammed. Don't get scammed, but always keep in mind which players withdraw. The fun part is uh, we don't even know who's taking his place. They have not done the lucky loser's draw yet. So right now, Schwartzman is playing against undecided. So we'll see how that goes. But to move into the fourth quarter, this is the fun one. You have Nadal as the favorite at around plus 120. You have Felix at plus 300. Chilich at plus 450. Fritz at around 11 to 1. Evans at 15 to 1. Cressy at 17 to 1. Any thoughts? Um, this is a wide open quarter, in my opinion. I think I this think is the we, most open quarter. It's either this one or the this, second one, but I think it's the fourth one. Right, right, yeah. Uh, and especially because, in my opinion, Nadal, I don't even think should be a name you should be really too afraid of, especially if you're going with a guy like uh, Auger or Chilich. Uh, you, could, you could really have a winner there and not have to be worrying about hedging at any point. Nadal could lose early. I, wouldn't be, I really wouldn't be surprised, even though his name is... Rafa Nadal or retire um, and, once again uh, right or retire exactly and uh and if you want to push for a uh, big value play here uh this is this is the quarter to do it uh, is there one in mind uh, are you potentially looking at previous Wimbledon semifinalist American Sam Query at 40 to 1 that's exactly what I'm looking at actually he's he's great on grass it's his best surface he serves the bombs he could get through a couple matches here, and if you know some of these guys who can actually lose early here, you know they're not unsta- they're not unbreakable. Auger, Chilich, Nadal, uh, he can make a run query. I w- I really wouldn't be surprised here. I do want to ask regarding Nadal's injury uh, concerns. Would you rather play Nadal early in the tournament or later in the tournament? You mean if I'm a player in Wimbledon? Yeah. 
Oh, as late as possible. Okay. Because it, fatigue's a fact. Fatigue's going to be a factor. I know it took those uh, what were they cortisone shots to the leg to be able to stand up in the French Open. But he claims he couldn't point, feel one of his legs, and he won eleven straight games. I, that might be a little <laughs> bit of an exaggeration, but you know that's a separate story. Right. Yeah. The only issue with uh, Sam Query here is that he does play Nadal, and uh, it, probably if Query wins, Nadal wins in the second round, which is yeah. not a fantastic draw. That's why I brought it's it up. Not, it's not the it's not the best draw, but you know those cortisone shots could get to the point. And this is not a surface. He's going for the calendar slam, but you know he's he's vulnerable technically. Yeah, he's vulnerable. I think Nadal's entering the tournament, of course, with the hopes of winning. But in reality, I don't think he's giving himself much of a shot to beat Djokovic. I, I don't think he's going into this tournament expecting to lose. But I feel like he's going to the first couple of rounds willing to test out the leg. If it goes well, he'll keep going. If not, he might shut it down. Because we know that he's always capable of bouncing back and winning the U.S. Open. And Wimbledon, I would say, is his, I'd say, least important Grand Slam tournament. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah. Maybe the Australian Open, maybe? Like, if you want to make an argument? No, Wimbledon. No, I agree with you. So, for me, I'm actually going to go out of the top three. And I'm not going to talk about Query. His odds dropped based on what happened this past weekend. I am taking an American, though. I'm taking Taylor Fritz at around 12 to 1. I think the odds mm-hmm. are extremely fascinating. And Fritz served extremely well in that final against Cressy. He was not broken in the entire match. I believe Cressy won 10% of return points. 10%. So Fritz had probably his best serving match of all time leading up to this tournament. And if you want to talk about players who can overpower the opposition, Fritz does have a very good serve, a very good forehand. The backhand's iffy at times, I'll admit that. But I do believe on grass with the shorter points, Fritz definitely has the talent to make a run in this particular tournament because he has a very, I'd say, easy section. He plays Musetti in the first round, Italian player not very known for his grass skills. Then he plays the winner of Gray versus Zhang, who most people don't even know who either of those guys are. Then after that, he'd play the winner of either Martinez Mulkin versus Rune Giron. That's his path for the first three rounds. So I do think Fritz has a very easy path to the fourth round. And if that's the case, I do think you're getting a pretty good price, especially if Fritz is capable of, even against Nadal, holding serve a fair amount of the time and getting to tiebreakers. Maybe he can pull it out. We'll see what happens. But I do like Fritz's current form at around 12 to 1 for that quarter. Uh, you any, have- any, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, your mic. Winning. Do you have any holdbacks with Fritz oh, with him last tournament and the fatigue factor or going full forward? Fatigue is going to be a bit of an issue uh, because that is always a question mark when you want to balance current form with, I'd say, overall stamina. But once again, as I mentioned before, fatigue could be an issue, but you look at how easy the region is, and I don't know if I really care. I mean, you're going through the first couple of rounds. Musetti is a solid player, but is he good on grass? No. No. Fritz should win 3 nothing. Then you have Gray versus Sang. I'm assuming Gray is going to win because he's the hometown kid. Fritz should kill him 
So he should win that in either straight sets or four sets. And then either Rune, Giron, Martinez, or Mulkin. I think Fritz probably loses one set max in the first three rounds. So I think he could be able to rest in between rounds without having to expend much energy. So at the end of the day, I just think Fritz has a good path and fatigue won't really play much of a factor when you're only playing three sets and your opponents have to play four or five in the same equivalent rounds. But other than that, though, that's going to be the futures breakdowns with the overall uh, outright winner and the quarters. But we're going to get into the actual round one matchups right after a word from our sponsors. We're also brought to you by Trade Coffee. Do you like to have delicious coffee delivered straight to your home? Then Trade Coffee has you covered. Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. On top of that, Trade Coffee also has a team of coffee experts that personally taste test over 450 roasts so they know exactly what to recommend for you. All you have to do is answer a couple of questions and you'll get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. Trade also has a great deal going on right now. They're offering new subscribers a total of $30 off their first order, plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com SGP. That's more than 40 cups of coffee, absolutely free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com SGP and let Trade find you a coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com SGP for $30 off. Welcome back, everyone. Now, before we went on break, we went through all of the futures. It might have dragged on a little bit, but damn it, we're thorough. And now we're going to go through round one. We're going to talk about some of our favorite plays taking place on Monday or Tuesday, depending on, of course, which matches we like. So without further ado, I'm going to let Sam go first. What we're going to do is we're going to go through our favorite matchups. Then we're going to transition, talk about some potential underdogs that might have some value based on the current price. But either way, Sam, you can go first. I mentioned before that this is a beautiful time of the year for tennis, the 64 matches. But what's also beautiful about it right now is that we're gonna we're deep diving into matches that one of these 64 matches in the first round that some of them might be looked over by the books, but we're gonna be on it. We're all over it. You're gonna hear some names that you may not have heard of in your entire life, but we're gonna be all over it. And uh, that leads into my first pick, who I like. This is my my favorite pick is minus four and a half game spread for Philip Krajinovic. He's 80% year to date on grass. He played recently in the London tournament where he beat Brooksby in two sets. Query, who's not a bad opponent in three sets. Uh, Peniston, three sets, also not a bad opponent. Chilich in two sets and lost to Berrettini, who, who won the tournament. Uh, he's minus four and a half against Lechica. Lechica is not really uh, a, even a middle-tier guy right now. He's really a no-name guy. He doesn't have any of the past performances to show that he'll even be close to Krasinovich's level. Remember, this is a three-out-of-five set match. Minus four-and-a-half, I'm taking that all day. Yeah, I feel like Krasinovich is a little bit too consistent for uh, the opposition here. You're looking at Yuri. He's an up-and-comer. He's only 20 years old but I still believe he might be a couple years away before even showing promise on grass. I, he didn't even actually do much preparation for grass. He played two matches. He lost to Kyrgios, and he lost to Stricker. Stricker lost in qualifying. So Stricker didn't even yes. make it to Wimbledon. So the fact that he lost those two makes me believe that Krajinovic should win rather handily. Even if you right. are afraid of the four-and-a-half games, 
maybe a one and a half sets if you want to lay a little bit more juice. But I would be very surprised That's... if uh, Krajinovic ended up losing more than one set in this match. Right, and uh, yeah, my, if you want to do minus one and a half sets, I'm not going to be angry at you. Minus two and a half sets I even like here. But talking about that Stricker match alone, uh, Lechica won the first set 6-3, and Stricker beat him 6-1, 6-4. So talking about the spread just in general, just to compare with a guy named Stricker compared to Krasinovich, uh, Stricker was able to uh, win by four games in a two out of three. Now we have Krasinovich way higher class than Stricker. He's only a minus four and a half, and we have three out of five sets. With the 6-1-2. Two. So when you lose 6-1 on grass, it means your serving's not exactly top tier. So, That's right. Yeah, I understand that play. It makes a lot of sense to me. Now I'm going to go with an underdog here. I'm looking at Ramos Vinolas, and I like him plus six and a half games at around minus 130. The line in this match has shifted a ton. I'll get back to that later. But six and a half minus 130 against Casper Rude. I faded Rude throughout his entire grass career, basically and I've made a boatload of money. Now, I will concede that Ramos Vinolas' grass court resume is not good either. He hasn't won a grass court tournament, or a grass court match, I should say, in about five years. But we're just not going to talk about that for a second. We're going to focus on the fact that Rude has to win by at least seven games. I don't see it happening. He lost to Penniston, 7-6-7-6. Ramos Vinolas, we know, is a very crafty player. He did make the third round of Wimbledon several years ago, so he has won actual matches in this tournament. Uh, Rude's over. He's never won a Wimbledon match, so I'm not going to exactly be thrilled with laying six and a half with this guy, but Rude made a comment in a press conference a couple of weeks ago that he prepares for the grass court season by playing golf because he's better at golf than tennis on grass. So Grude, he's there for fun. He's going to see what happens, but he might win the match. He might not, but six and a half is way too many. I would be shocked if Rude won in straight sets. It's very difficult to cover six and a half while you lose a set. So I'm going to go with Ramos Vinolas plus six and a half. I think that number is way too high. Yep. Makes a lot of sense with Rude not really, really full into grass this season. You have a second All play? right. Yep, my second play. I like him. We talked about him in the past. It's Sam Query at minus four and a half games. He's, he serves very well. He does very well on grass. Uh, he's had great past performances in Wimbledon. He's done very well in the grass season up to this year, uh, including this year. Uh, he's won. He went to London, winning three straight matches. Uh, then lost to Krajinovic, who I've mentioned just mentioned in the past. But he's playing guy Ricardus Barankas, who is very low tier. He's not really great on grass at all. Uh, if you look at his last year performance on Wimbledon, he lost in the first round, three six, four six, six seven to Lloyd Harris, who's actually a decent player, but. Sam Query here, he should serve the lights out of him, get a couple breaks. Uh, it shouldn't be a problem covering four and a half. I'm taking that as well. Yeah, Barankas is one of those rare players who's a hardcourt specialist who's awful on clay and grass, which you don't really see that often. But Query's been very solid, especially this year on grass. So I definitely expect Query to look sharp there. I guess the one concern is if you think he's going to break enough because we know Query's issue his entire career is being a pretty underwhelming returner. But he's not as atrocious returning as in Isner, for example. 
So no, no, yeah, he he's let's say one of the matches or a couple of the matches he played in London, uh, he beat. Fabiano, 6-2, 6-2, got a couple breaks there, obviously. Uh, played Diego Schwartzman, who's also – he's not a great server, but he's still a very good player in general. He beat him 6-1, 6-4, so definitely a couple breaks there. But he, the real the real kicker here is uh, that he's playing Ricardo Sparankis, who is a 26% win percentage on grass. And where he's best surface is grass. Uh, you have three sets here. You get a six three. Even if you get seven six seven six, the rest yeah. of the way mm-hmm. you're going to cover. And six three could also be one break if Query serving first in the set. So mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Now for my second pick, I'm going to go with another underdog before getting into a couple of favorites. I'm looking at a match that's really under the radar. I'm looking at Lucas Rosel plus four and a half games at around minus one hundred five against Basilashvili. I'll concede Basilashvili the much more talented player. The issue is. Uh, he's a psycho. Uh, there's really no way around it. You can go through the line of head case players. Of course, Kyrgios top of the list. You have Benoit Pair. You have Fagnini at times. They're willing to pun sets. Tiafo pun sets as well. Basilashvili is really the forgotten wild card when it comes to punting sets. And if you want to look at Basilashvili's overall just career, he's a very talented player who makes a ton of unforced errors. And Rosal is a veteran who went through qualifying, looked very good in qualifying, but he's a very good server. And I do think that Rosal, especially with his height advantage, could give Basilashvili some problems. And if you want to talk about a case where Basilashvili goes down 3 nothing in a set, we've seen it before. Some players try to fight back. Some players roll over and try to conserve energy for future sets. Basilashvili is the latter. He's really not afraid to roll over. And if you want to look at his qualifying here for Rosal, he didn't drop a set. He beat Seaboth Wild 6-2-6-0, beat Eubank 7-6-6-4, and then beat Olivo 7-6-7-6-6-4. They did play each other twice in their careers a while ago, but Rosal lost the first match 6-4-7-6, and he won the second match 7-6-6-4-7-6. But... The common theme there, tiebreakers. And if I think that Basilashvili might punt the set, then I definitely like the plus four and a half, especially at minus 105. Because if Basilashvili is going to win three sets in this match, I expect it to be 6-4 or higher. I think Rosal's a good enough server to avoid getting smacked 6-2 in a set. Right, and it's it's very hard to win straight sets in, in Wimbledon. It's It's not really too easy to just completely blow somebody out. The other opponent, even a very, very heavy underdog, could easily win set in in this tournament. So, yeah, going for those overs or the pluses uh, with Rosal here against Basilashvili, I got to agree with you. But just to go through the last couple of matches he had, in Mallorca, he was against Rosencrantz, who I'm sure nobody's heard of. He lost in straight sets, 7-6-7-6. He played Atta in Hala, won the first set 6-4, and then punted the second set 6-0, like I said he was going to, and then he lost the third set 7-6. Played Rublev, beat him 7-6-6-4. Kyrgyz, seven, he, he won the first set 7-6, and then lost 6-4-6-3, and then Musetti 7-5-6-3, he won that one. So, a lot of sevens in there. I don't mind the over. I think we'll see a couple of long, grueling sets. And with the unforced error quantity 
that Basel is known for, I highly expect him to punt the set. Yep, yeah, yep, I completely understand that. Uh, makes perfect sense to me. Uh, you have a third play? Yeah, my third play. I, I, you know, I mentioned before that we were going to go with names. We're doing deep dives, names that we've never heard of. People it doesn't, it doesn't have to of. be. We have heard of. Yeah. We have heard of. They have maybe never. The folks back at home may never have heard of. But uh, this one's uh, different. A guy named Novak Djokovic. Oh, yeah, I, heard, I heard of that against guy. The soon, you heard about Djokovic, right? I heard yeah, about he, him, yeah. He's a, good, he's a good one. He's a good one. Uh, he's playing uh, Sun Wu Kwan in the first round. Uh under 27 and a half at minus 105 is my play. Let's, let's look at the previous performance for Sunwoo Kwan. Just look at this last match that he played. He played a guy named Gaston. Uh, not on the tier of Djokovic, would you say? Uh, no, Gaston's also a French guy mostly known for his clay court performance. Yeah, yeah that's a 6-2-6-1 Gaston. That's, that's, not just abs- that's not good at all. Djokovic will just have to average a 6-3 here in nine, nine games per set, and he'll hit that under. Uh, I just think he'll dominate against this guy. Yeah, I think the one concern would be Djokovic not playing on grass this season, but he addressed it before. He's won Wimbledon several times and not playing one of the warm-up tournaments, so he should be fine. But I'm going to go to an American. I'm actually going to take a favorite in this one. I'm going to take Giron. Minus one and a half games at minus 112 against Rune. Now, this is a very rare spot, which you see a lot in other sports, which I think is pretty telling, especially like college basketball, college football. You have an unranked team or an unranked player favored over a ranked team or a ranked player. How does that usually go? Uh, Usually, you'd want to go for that ranked team and you would be wrong. That is correct. The unranked player or team tends to do very well. And the fact that Giron is favored against Rune, who is, I believe, ranked 24th in this tournament after his very impressive French Open run, uh, there's a reason for it. It's because Rune's awful on grass. And Giron had, I'd say, a, was a mixed bag on grass leading up to this year. But if you want to actually look at his performances in uh, on grass, I should say, over the last couple of weeks... He's actually been very good, and I think that there's a reason why, despite Rune being a nice up-and-coming player, why he's a dog in this spot. It's because uh, grass court's not great. He lost to Peniston in three, lost to Karena Busta, who's been really underwhelming for the last couple of months. So those are two pretty underwhelming performances. Giron, on the other hand, uh, lost to Sitsipas, who won the tournament in three sets. He beat McDonald in three and he beat Van de Schlup in three. Uh, he also played Felix, who's one of the uh, sixth lowest odds to win the entire Wimbledon, lost to him in three, played Struff, lost in three with a 10-8 tiebreak in the final set. So Giron has hung around against quality players on grass. Rune is not a quality player on grass. But if you're going to give me an underdog who's, who's not ranked, or I should say an unranked player being favored against a ranked player, I'll gladly take the unranked player. They're daring you to take Rune. I'm not going to do it. Give me Giron minus one and a half games. Yeah, you also have a veteran here versus like pretty much a rookie. Of, yeah, uh, Rune's of only Rune. 19, so he's got a long way to go. Yep. Yeah, he's shown his strength on clay court, but on grass court, like just like you said, we don't we don't know, and he, he just hasn't been there, yeah. and he just hasn't performed. And Giron has. He's the veteran. Rune is the rookie. 
you have a fourth play or those were your three? Those are my top three plays. Okay, so I have a fourth one. Uh, it's going to be an over. And it's going to be in a matchup between another American. I got Brooksby and Kakushkin. And I like over three and a half sets at minus 145. Now, Kakushkin had to go through qualifying. He is an extreme veteran, but props to him for being able to make it back into the main draw for Wimbledon. You look at his career in Wimbledon. Not bad. Now, I'm not saying he makes it to the quarters or anything, but he has won matches at Wimbledon several times. You can go through his qualifying. He won in straight sets the first round. He retired Cole Schreiber. Cole Schreiber actually retired from the sport after Kukushkin beat him in three sets in the second round. And then he beat Pyros in four sets in the final round of qualifying. You look at Brooksby. I get it. Brooksby's an up-and-coming American player who's pretty solid, but grass courts have not been his friend up to this point. He beat DeJong, who is an extremely low-ranked up-and-comer as well in the first round in the Netherlands, lost to Gaston in three, played Krajinovic, lost in straight sets, played Draper, and got absolutely destroyed, lost 6-2, 6-2. But the issue with Brooksby... He's not a good server. He's a good rallier. His court coverage is pretty solid. He can't serve. Kakushkin does have powerful strokes, and he can serve. So I do think that you will see a competitive match. I think Kakushkin might be live to win the match, but three and a half sets at minus 145, I don't think Brooksby's good enough for me to assume he's going to win in straight sets. And I hear you. I, you sold me just when you said they. Kakushkin played Cole Schreiber, and then Cole Schreiber retired from the game. Yeah, he retired from the sport. He <laughs> was just done after he saw Kakushkin come on the court because Kakushkin served up some bombs, and Cole Schreiber said, I- "I'm done." I'm it was a very good towel. match, it's a- though. It's over. Cole Schreiber has <laughs> been in his career a pretty solid grass court player. Now, I'm not saying Kakushkin's an amazing server, but I think he's a better server than Brooksby. And if you want to make a case where you might just have a break fest where you're battling between which player can actually hold serve for once in their lives, I can't take an under three and a half sets. I think that Kakushkin should take at least one, and I think Brooksby's young enough for stamina purposes to eventually take advantage of an older, fatigued Kakushkin in the later sets. Right. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, even if you look at, let's say, the aces, you look at Brooksby serving the aces in his past two matches. He played Draper, which you mentioned, he lost 6-2-6-2, and Krajinovic, he lost 6-4-6-3. Total aces between both of those matches combined, two. He's not a good server. So if you're going to be talking about a guy who's expected to roll over his opponent, but he's not going to be able to hold serve easily on grass, I'm assuming you're going to see a four-set or a five-set match. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, now, before we actually get into our favorite plays, uh, I'm going to leave a segment here for some underdogs that we might like. We'll save our favorite one for later. Do you have any underdogs that you circled in particular that you think the odds are just completely off on? I'm going to need a, a research timeout on this one. Okay, that's fine. So I will go first. I mentioned it in one of my favorite actual plays. I mentioned the spread, but I'm going to mention it on the money line. I'm going to take Ramos Vinolas at around 4-1. to one against Kasparud, Rude, this line has been flying. It opened up at around plus 490. It's at mostly 350 now. But I saw a couple of books that still had 400, but this line's moved a ton. And it's mostly because Rude is a terrible grass court player 
and Ramos Vanolas at times has shown flashes on grass. He won a couple of Wimbledon matches in 2017. He played against Fokina, uh, Davidovich Fokina earlier this year on grass. He lost 7-5-6-4, which is respectable because Davidovich Fakina is actually a pretty good grass court player. Rude played Peniston and said, I hate grass. I remember why I hate it. I'm ready for Wimbledon. So I think that Ramos Vanolas is a good shot to win. I think it'll probably be a four-set or a five-set match. But four to one, I'm looking at these two guys, and I really think this line should be closer to Rude minus 175. I think they're really comparable. Four to one's right. insane. Yeah, that's that's very high for a guy who rather play golf than tennis on grass. So I mean, you you got a guy that's four to one here. You, you got to take a shot on that one. Even if it loses for value alone, that's insane. Yeah, that's good value. That's good value, hands down. I got my guy. Uh, I mentioned him in the past as a good value pick for the quarter. I think as long as he's healthy, which he says that he is, and that ATP says that he is. Marton Fixovic versus Bublik. Uh, Fixovic's at plus 145 here. I'm not sure if I, it's not, it doesn't match up to the plus 400, but I'm just sniping out value. Uh, Fixovic has done well in the past, just like how I mentioned before. Bublik is kind of uh, volatile at times. What, the, un- uh, yes, the underhand can- serving doesn't wow you at times? Uh, sometimes it can be taken advantage of, but. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, if. If Bublik doesn't really show his A game here and Fuksovic is healthy, I mentioned that he beat Hercots earlier this year already a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think Fuksovic can easily take, take the match here if he's healthy. Yeah, that's the main question, Mark. But of course, it could be a great spot to get a live line. Bublik's another one of those guys, when the going gets tough, he quits. So if Fuksovic can make him work for it, I don't think Bublik's going to come back from a set or two down. I think he'll just roll over. But Fuksovic yeah. is very good at keeping the ball in play. And I do think that Bublik, with his unorthodox and questionable shot selection, might just start spraying the ball over the court. So I definitely understand yeah, the, that. The unforced errors could be at an all-time high. You just never know with Bublik at any And the double faults. True. Which are, very which true. are huge. But that's going to segue me into another underdog that I'm tempted by who is – well, an even bigger psychopath than Bublik, and I'm going to potentially back him. You might have to talk me off the ledge on this one. It's Benoit Pair. Oh, boy. And it's, uh, it's plus 275 against Hallis. And I'm aware that Pear is a lunatic, and I know that if he goes down 2 nothing, he's going to pack it up and go home. These are all scary points. I, I am aware of it. But I don't think that Hallis is a good enough player to be laying somewhere in the minus 300 range against Pear. You're looking at Hallis leading up to this actual tournament. He's been pretty underwhelming on grass. He beat, uh, to, he beat Tabilo. He beat Kudla. Lost to Rusevuri. Beat Kuznetsov in three. Lost to Jordan Thompson 6-2-6-0, which is just awful. Six two six zero. He retired three games into a match against Albert, and he beat somebody named Topo in Stuttgart, who I'm sure nobody's ever heard of. Pairs won a couple of Wimbledon matches in the past, and Grass is, you can argue, either his best surface or his second best surface. 
once again, I know he's a head case, but I have to at least acknowledge the fact that Hallis has never played in a Wimbledon main draw match in his entire career. He's minus 300 and change. That's a little bit crazy for me. He's completely yeah. unproven. It's his first time out of Wimbledon qualifying. I can't lay $3 and change with him. There are two Frenchmen going at it, so maybe you can argue Pair might show a little bit of nationalism and try to win. I don't know. But plus 275, I just think he's too talented to be that big of a dog. It could blow up in my face. I'll admit it. But I think the line should be closer to plus 215, plus 220. I could say even lower. I mean, I think this is a little bit closer to a coin flip. I mean, yeah, House is favored, but I could see it even being a plus 175. I wouldn't be surprised for for Pear. You never know when he's going to turn it on. And at the value that he is right now, uh, I can't can't say no. Yeah, Pear took some time off because he was trying to find himself again. He takes breaks every now and then from tennis when he's playing terribly. He's not been good this year, I'll admit it. But the talent alone, if Pear even plays at 70%, of his potential. I think he's a better player than house. Yeah. I mean, it's those flashes of great talent. So, uh, the value the value here, is, the double faults are going to kill me. The drop shots, 40 feet behind the baseline are going to kill me, but I have to at least acknowledge a player's first ever main draw Wimbledon match. And he's a minus like three fifty. I can't lay that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a little too much. Uh, I said, are you going to mention uh, your boy over at the other side of the court on doubles? Uh, I was going to, but I was going to save that for later, actually. Uh, right. Do you have any other singles dogs that you like, or that's pretty much it? No, nah, I, I, I got my plays. I'm not going to overstretch here to any, any crazy underdogs to take a little bit out of my bankroll, so I'm good where I am. All right, I got one more that I'll throw out there. It's going to be a combo play. The money line is an underdog price, a plus price, but you, there's another combo bet that you can make to make the plus price even bigger. It's going to be Lahovich, and I'm going to take him and both players to win a set. So Lahovich to win in four or five sets against Karenia Busta at plus 380. Mm-hmm. Trivia question. Karenia Busta has been in six Wimbledons in his career. How many times has he made the second round? What is one time? Uh, zero. Ah. He has never won a Wimbledon match. He's 0-6. And you're telling me that he's a huge favorite against Lahovich. I don't see it. Now, I know that Busta has been playing some grass court matches. And in non-Wimbledon events, he's, I'd say, meh. It's not exactly the most creative word choice, but he's not exactly an atrocious grass court player. He's not a great grass court player. We know he has injury issues all the time. You look at him and Howell, he was actually okay. Beat Rune, beat Korda, and ended up losing handily to Kyrgios. Then he played Bellier in Mallorca, and he lost. They've played six times in their career head, uh, head-to-head, and it is actually 4-2 to two in favor of Karenia Busta. They have not played on grass, but the fact that they've played six times and the fact that Lahovich is definitely better on grass, in my opinion, than Karenia Busta because Lahovich has actually made it out of the first round in Wimbledon before. Plus 380, I'm not picking Lahovich to win in straight sets. This is going to be a war. 
is definitely going four or five one way or another. But if you're going to give me plus 380 for a guy who's made it to the second round twice compared to a guy who's made the second round zero times, I'll take the plus 380. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Karina Boost has been all over the map. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty good hardcore player. I actually like him a lot when it comes to hardcore. He's pretty consistent there. Yeah, U- U.S. But, Open is usually a quarterfinalist every now and then. Right, right. But in, on grass, we you just don't see the results. Uh, I will like to mention just one thing for underdogs. Uh, we have mentioned the quarter futures. Uh, I know we talked about that. If you want to root for Djokovic and you want to root for Berrettini, there is a prop where you can name the finalists and pick both of them. And you get a plus 370 that they play in the finals. They're their clear favorites here. Uh, I know you know, people don't want to lay, may not want to lay the minus three something for for Djokovic. They may not want to lay the minus 110. They want to get that plus money. Uh, that might be a good path to do. Yeah, that makes sense too. I kind of wish you could parlay the quarters, but unfortunately most books do not let you do that. But anyway, uh, we're going to quickly take another break and then we're going to talk about our favorite plays, our lock-in dog for the show. Did you know that browsing online using incognito mode does not actually protect your privacy? That's right. Without added security, you might as well give away all your private information to hackers, advertisers, your ISP, and other prying eyes. That's why I use IP Vanish VPN to make it easy to stay truly private and secure on the internet. IP Vanish helps you safely browse the internet by encrypting 100% of your data. That means all your private details, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be completely shielded from falling into the wrong hands. Even your physical location will be hidden. IP Vanish makes you virtually invisible online. It's that simple. You can use IP Vanish on unlimited devices without sacrificing speed, on computers, tablets, phones, even fire stick devices while streaming media. Whether I'm at home or in public, I don't go online anymore without using IP Vanish. Plus, IP Vanish has a great deal in place. It's offering an incredible 70% off their yearly plan for our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's just like getting nine months absolutely free. IP Vanish is super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know it's on. Stop sharing with the world everything you stream, everything you search for, and everything you buy. Take your privacy back with the brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. So go to ipvanish.com slash SGP and use promotional code SGP and claim your 70% savings. That's ipvanish.com slash SGP. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Now it's the time that everyone was waiting for on the show, the time for our lock and dash or dog. We're not sure if we want to do both yet. We might only do one. It's the first episode. We'll figure it out. But to start off with our favorite lock here, Sam, you can go first. What's your favorite play? Mentioned it before, my favorite play, Philip Krajinovic, minus four and a half games. He's just a higher tier class. He's playing Lechica, by the way. He's a higher tier class than him. It's, it's, it's very simple. Uh, Lechica, he, he, he lost by four games to Stricker, not even in Wimbledon. Krajinovic, he's been 80% win rate this year on grass. He's been rolling. He knows how to play on grass. He knows what he's doing. He's going to cover the four and a half. Trust me on that one. Okay. Well, trust Sam Jacob for that lock there. That's why It's going to it. move. It's also going to move. The line is going to move. That's so. why I would call it a lock, by the way. So, you know, he's ready. He, he, you know he already bet it. He's slamming down his own money on it. So let's all cash together there. My favorite lock is going to be 
The play that I gave out first is going to be Ramos Vanola's plus six and a half at minus 130 against Rude. This one I can guarantee you will move. I saw it at 135 already. I saw it even closing in some spots at five and a half already. So it is really, really moving. And when a money line goes from around five to one to about plus 350 in the span of about a day and a half, I can guarantee you more money is coming in a Ramos Finola. So I would get this sooner rather than later. It's fading root on grass. It's very simple. Both players are definitely clay specialists, but Ramos is very crafty. Lefty serve. We know he's not afraid to do a little bit of serve and volley there with the kick serve. And I think in a match with a lot of rallying and with a guy who has a lot of tricks up his sleeve being a veteran, I think Ramos Vanola should win at least one set. Might even win the match. I mentioned it at four to one as a dog. But six and a half games is crazy. I'll gladly take that, especially since I think he has a shot to win the match. Yeah, the dog? The dog, I was tempted to give out Ramos Vanolis again, but you don't have a dog, right? Uh, I mean, if I was being a, uh, a sports advisor here, uh, my, my favorite play as a dog would just be to take, I mentioned it before with the quarters, uh, Fuksovics at the plus 3,500 uh, 3, plus 3,500 to win the quarter and, uh, and then maybe hedging, hitting the final. His path is pretty clear. Uh, it's the second quarter, which we mentioned, which is a very easy quarter compared to the rest of the quarters. He's beaten Hercots, who is supposed to be the one that he faced in the quarterfinals. You have 35 to 1. That's, that's what I would go with when we're talking dogs. Yeah, and for the dogs here, of course, I'm not going to do Ramos Vanillas for both, but I am tempted by that plus 400. I'm going to go off the reservation. I'm going to give out a dog that we have not even talked about because it's not even men's. It is men's doubles, and it's going to be in a matchup between uh, Jack Sock and Dennis Kudla as they are taking on Aravalo and Roher in men's doubles. Uh, Sock was originally plus 185 with his partner. It's now mostly plus 140, but I can still find a 160 out there. I'm going to take it. Jack Sock might be the best doubles player on the planet. He's definitely top five. And the rankings are not going to indicate that because he doesn't play many grass court. Tor- uh, he doesn't play many doubles tournaments. But Sock's incredible, and in Wimbledon in his career, he's been extremely successful in doubles for Wimbledon. To go through his actual resume at Wimbledon, he won the entire Grand Slam doubles in the Wimbledon tournament in 2014 and 2018. So you have a two-time champion in Wimbledon doubles. And if you want to look at what exactly happened with the opponents here, the reason why they're a dog is because their opponents, Arvalo and Roher, won the French Open. The issue is on grass, not very good. And I do think, of course, surface is everything. Kudla is a pretty solid, I think we can agree on that, singles player on grass. He's not an amazing player, but he's serviceable. But Sock is so good. You're going to give me basically a top five individual doubles player to win a match with his partner against an, against opponents that are really uncomfortable on grass at about plus 160. It's a great deal. That line should continue to move. I think Sock probably closes closer to plus 120 in that one. But give me Sock and Kudla in men's doubles at plus 160. Uh, any reservations about Kudla being his partner this time, or is just Sock so dominant in doubles? 
The thing is, Kudla in doubles is not amazing by any means. I wish he was with Isner or with anybody else who he's played, I'd say, numerous matches with. But it's mostly a spot for me. Service is everything. I just think plus 160 is a crazy line when you're going to give me a guy who's won Wimbledon in doubles twice. And just for the record, I said 2014 and 2018. To go through the actual Wimbledon doubles in between, so he won in 2014, third round, third round, didn't play, won, didn't play, Wimbledon didn't exist, didn't play. So when he actually plays doubles at Wimbledon, he's made the third round minimum every time. That's good enough for me. Sox track record on grass and doubles is very good. I'll take the plus 160. Yeah, you're never you're not really going to see Jack Sock and doubles match at that at that price. Uh, so I guess you might you might as well take advantage of it. I can guarantee uh, you, I, if, if he was with Isner, they'd be favored. Oh yeah, yeah, most most definitely. The Jack Sock's just the dominant player on on doubles. Uh, like I said, you, you're not going to see that price. No. Uh, but one of the last last uh, last. Things, statements I'd like to say. I want to see your opinion on it. I want to hear your opinion on it. Is the bookmakers have 64 matches to deal with in Wimbledon tennis? But not, not even, not like March Madness. Yeah, the, the, that's the amount of matches really that you have in March Madness. It's a little no, less. It, it, it's more because you got the women's side with 64, and the doubles, and the women's doubles, and the mixed doubles. That's right. Yeah, they have to focus on all of that. We're reviewing it to the core on all these matches. They, they have so much to look at. You think that there's some of them that they're not going to overlook? This is what we're trying to snipe down. This is the plays we're giving out. What do you, what do you think? Yep, I'm looking forward to cashing a lot of these bets. Uh, my favorite days in the actual Grand Slam events are the first couple rounds. Same thing with March Madness. I get people want to see the great players against the great players. I just love having seven matches at the same time. You can just pick and choose what you want to watch. It's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to making a lot of money over the course of this tournament with you. We'll be back later on in the middle of the week to go through some mid-tournament plays, but you can find me on Twitter at Show Radio. Besides that, I'll still be on the NBA Gambling Podcast, the WNBA Gambling Podcast once Terrell is back from vacation. So I'll still be around. Should be a lot of fun. Sam, as right now, you don't have a Twitter, right? I do not, not at the moment. Okay, we'll work on that. Either way, you can find him somewhere. We're just not sure where. But <laughs> have a night. Uh, good luck to all of you and all your bets. Sam, any final words? Uh, I'm just happy to be here, and this is the time to place in your bets on tennis when there's 64 matches going on all at once. Yep. Trust also, me. since we are a new show on the actual Sports Gambling Podcast Network, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Uh, tell us your thoughts. If we know what we're talking about, if you think we're dumb, we don't really care. Just tell us what your <laughs> thoughts are in general. And other than that, though, we'll see you in a couple of days and have fun watching Wimbledon. Take care.